and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So hello, everybody. I am so excited to have Robert Moss back on the Path 11 podcast. He was actually episode two when we first started the Path 11 podcast. And there we really got the whole history of his story, his near-death experiences. So we're not going to talk a lot about that today. I would direct you back to episode two with Robert Moss to hear about uh, a lot of his life stories. But he is, I would say, the master of dream work. So, so many people ask me and have questions about dreaming. But we are going to talk more specifically about how to connect with the departed through dreaming, because Robert is one of the keynote speakers at the Afterlife Awareness Conference, and that is happening at Downers Grove in Illinois, June 4th through the 7th. And on June uh, 5th is when Robert's going to give his keynote. And he also has an interactive three-hour workshop that he is teaching also at the Afterlife Awareness Conference. And just to remember that people can purchase that workshop individually. If you don't want to attend the whole conference, you can just come and attend Robert's. So let me tell you just a little bit about him in case you've never heard about him before. He is the creator of Active Dreaming, a synthesis of dream work and shamanism. Born in Australia, he survived three near-death experiences in childhood and now leads dream seminars all over the world. A former lecturer in ancient history at the Australian National University, he is a best-selling novelist, journalist, and independent scholar and has published 12 books on dreaming, shamanism, and imagination. His keynote talk at the Afterlife Awareness Conference is going to be about communicating with the dead in dreams, and he's also offering an experiential workshop on Saturday on how to connect with the departed through dreaming. So very excited to have you back, Robert. It's been a while, um, and welcome. I'm glad to be dreaming with you again, April. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of shamans and I've done some shamanic work. And I know that they've always said that the goal as we are here is to wake up inside of the dream. And, you know, as we are recording this in March, we're having a very interesting time in the world that almost feels like a dream with the coronavirus going on right now. Um, so I don't know if we want to talk a little bit about that before we go into talking about how to connect with the departed, but how do you begin to wake up inside of this dream that we're all having? Well, yes, we need to wake up inside of the dream of waking life, don't we? And ironically, the dreams in sleep or around sleep might be one of our very best ways of waking up to what is going on in the physical world around us. It might be the dreaming in the night in dreams in sleep and half-sleep states. We are actually waking up in the sense of starting to remember what it's all about, starting to remember what soul wants in our lives, starting to see what is possible on the physical plane from a different angle, developing a witness perspective on things. Of course, that can be terrifying when you think about something like the coronavirus, because when you adopt a witness perspective, you might think that from the Earth point of view, from Gaia's point of view, there are too many humans and they need to be culled. I'm not saying that that's my opinion, but some of the dreamers who've been looking into the current crisis 
crisis, find themselves identifying in some ways with the viewpoint of the natural world, for which humans are the number one problem. Of course, when we see the misgovernment and the misguided handling of these things, we see that humans are tremendous problems to themselves and each other, as well as to the environment. So let me just make the fundamental point, April. Dreaming is not fundamentally about what goes on during sleep, though we have very important experiences in sleep. Dreaming is fundamentally about waking up. In the language of ancient Egypt, which did a lot of dreaming, the word for dream, which we transliterate as reswit, R-S-W-T, also means an awakening. So there the language of an ancient dreaming tradition is the understanding that to dream might be to wake up. To wake up to what? to wake up to the origin and purpose of our lives on this planet. Now, you mentioned shamans and indigenous traditions. You're sitting right now in the traditional land of the Mohawk people, the Kanyenkahaga. That's where you are. That's where you're sitting. In the language of the Kanyenkahaga, known to us as the Mohawk, the word for shaman is Ramzetsats, which means dreamer. It means one who dreams. It's right there in the language. The real shaman and the true healer, from this point of view, from the North American indigenous tradition, it's not just Mohawk or Iroquois, it's all across North America. The word dreamer means shaman. The true shaman is someone who can operate in the dream world, who can enter a dream state intentionally, consciously, shift consciousness, typically without hallucinogenics. They're alien to the North American indigenous tradition, do it through their own power of will and their own power of practice. And they can do useful things. They can guide souls of the living and the dead. They can play psychopomp, which means guide of souls for people on both sides of death. So if you want to understand shamanism, you better do some dreaming, because without dreaming, there is no shamanism of any interest to me or to the North American indigenous tradition, or I believe to the tradition of any of our ancestors. We go back to a point in our history when we understood what is most important. And one of the things that is most important is to know that dreaming is one of our tools for survival and for soul. It puts us in touch with our purpose. We need meaning. It shows us the possible future in ways that might help us to navigate better. It puts us in touch with the ancestors and the departed. And it can be a source of medicine and healing. Wonderful. Thank you. So as we move into our discussion about how people can connect with um, the dead and their deceased loved ones in the dream state, if you don't mind, I'd like to share with you a dream that was recently presented to me by one of my clients. Uh, Her father had committed suicide about a year and a half ago. And she's been doing therapy with me and uh, came in and said, oh my gosh, I have to tell you about this dream that I had. I finally dreamt of my dad. And what was really interesting, and it made me think a lot about your work, um, one of the PDF files that you have is um, also dialoguing with dream characters. Um, So I think that there was somebody that was helping her in this dream. She said, before I saw my dad, there was a voice in my dream that said, you are going to see your father. And this is going to be a real experience and you will be able to touch him. And so she hears that voice. And then all of a sudden in her dream, she turns and looks and there her father is and he makes eye contact with her and she's able to go over to him and hug him and have this amazing experience. And I thought that was interesting with the two parts where it sounded like there was this guide or this dream character that was giving her some instruction, letting her know probably don't freak out, stay awake (laughs) in the dream. And then so many people that I have spoken to that have had these dreams of their deceased loved ones, these are dreams that last 
forever for people. They could tell it as if it happened yesterday. Whereas sometimes people, if they're not journaling their dreams, they may not be able to have that recall so specifically. So I wanted to just share that as an example. And maybe you have some insight to talk about, um, you know, maybe what that voice was that gave her instruction before this meeting happened. And are these meetings with our deceased loved ones really real? And let's just talk about how we can make more contact with the dead. Well, you've asked three excellent and very big questions and raised you know, half a dozen discussion topics. So let me weigh in where I can most easily. First of all, we have guides available. For me, if this is my dream, I'm hearing the voice of the guide who is there to mediate and introduce an important encounter. Suicide's involved, so healing and forgiveness are going to be on the agenda. I want to be prepared for that. If I'm going to have an encounter with a family member who checked out, leaving the family behind and might feel guilty and I might feel angry, I might feel pain, pained about it, it's nice to know that there's a guide talking in this calm and reassuring way, first of all, about the reality of the encounter and then getting me absolutely prepared for it. Now, in different mythologies and different traditions, the guide, the gatekeeper, might be personified. We mentioned Egypt, Anubis, the canine-headed uh, uh, gatekeeper of the passage between the worlds might be the one that you turn to. You might ask for a god or spirit to help you. But it might, in the case of this dream, simply be the part of you that knows what's going on. It might be part of your higher self, or it might be a transpersonal guide. It doesn't really matter too much what description we put on it, because it's working. And the real is what works, and this is working. Now, encounters with the departed are absolutely natural and available all the time, especially in our dreams. Why? First of all, because they might still be around. They might not have moved on. That can sometimes be problematic. Sometimes be okay. It depends on the circumstances. Sometimes our deceased stay around because they think we're clueless. They'd like to give us some advice on life. Sometimes they stay around because they want another cigarette or another drink or another fix, and that's problematic. But the departed might still be around. And, and actually, we tend to go around with quite a lot of our dead around us for a certain period in life. Secondly, we meet the dead, the so-called dead in our dreams, because they come visiting. They come visiting, they come calling, and they come visiting for all the reasons. We call on each other in regular life, and then some, if they're clear about their condition, they can become counselors and even family angels, in the sense they can bring us information we don't have, because we're so stuck in the, you know, the, the hustle and confusion and distraction of ordinary life, we don't see as clearly as a person living outside time, able to scan across time, into the possible future, for example, might be able to see things. So they might come looking for us because they've got a message. Can I tell a recent personal story about that? Yeah, I would love to hear So it. one of the people I've learned a lot about the afterlife from is my father. Now, he died more than 30 years ago in Australia. We, we were pretty good friends at the time of his death. We became very good friends after his death when he came to me with survival information for the family. And then at a certain point, having showed me his transitions on the other side, he told me he'd made a decision about what he was going to do now. We wouldn't be meeting the same way. Okay, bye, Dad. Well, three years or so ago, I'm in that drifty state between sleep and awake. You know, the hypnagogic state. You're not awake, you're not asleep, you're in a twilight state. By the way, this is a great state of consciousness in which to develop your ability to become a lucid dreamer, to have creative connection with transpersonal guides and and indeed with the deceased. Uh, so I'm drifting in that in-between state, and I'm up on the rooftop of a high building. It's a kind of dream locale I like. I'm up in a high building, I get some perspective. Sometimes I meet an interesting guide up there who looks like an impossibly brilliant and radiant version of myself, myself slightly higher self. And I'm, what's gonna happen? I mean, I'm full of optimism. Suddenly, bang, 
there is my father. And I'm shocked, not because he's dead. I know he's dead. We were communicating for many years, but he's gone on somewhere else. What's he doing in this dream state? The moment I recognize, he looks about 30 years old. He looks really good. I'm in front of him. He points to my upper lip. He says, go to a doctor and have that checked out. So as soon as the office opens in the morning, I call the dermatologist. I'd had what I thought was a mole that hadn't healed very well after uh, I scraped it with a razor. It's a spot of skin cancer. And it's the kind of thing that can be dealt with, you know, very easily, although plastic surgery is a little bit difficult, if you take care of it. But my regular physician hadn't noticed anything. I hadn't noticed anything. I believe my father turned up because I needed a health warning, a medical advisory. And I actually have noticed this in other people's dreams. Often the first alert, the first medical alert people seem to listen to in terms of the health of the body comes from a deceased family member. So after the plastic surgery, after all of that was done, I raised a glass of single malt scotch, my first scotch. My father was a Scottish soldier. I said, thanks, Dad. So you, you can psychologize that and say that's the part of me that knew there was a problem dressing up with the, the costume with the face of a familiar person. You could say that. I think there was dad coming a long way to give me a message. So back to the main lines, the second reason why contact with the deceased, especially in dreams, is not unusual, not unnatural, is that they come calling on us. And it might be for very good reasons, like passing on a message of that kind. Or they might need our help. They might be lost and confused. They might turn to us as guides because we look more solid and more substantial than anything they're able to recognize on the other side. We could come back to that point later on. And the third reason, and this comes up with the dream from the client that you quoted, we travel, in, especially in dreams, and we can do it consciously in the way of a shaman, we can do it in meditation, we can do it in intuitive states. We travel to realms where the dead are alive. We might do that every night. It might be that even if you don't remember your dreams or don't recognize what's going on, you are among the departed. Every night, you know, that house, that palace, that school, that temple, that place of healing, that pleasure park, that pleasure park might be a place where you are among the deceased. Take a close look. So we travel, and sometimes we travel by invitation. It sounds as if your client was guided to the place of encounter with the father. And in this way, by the way, April, in the ways that we're talking about, this is how we derive our knowledge, our first-hand knowledge that soul or consciousness survives death. This is the principal root of the widespread human belief that something survives physical death, experiences of this kind. Yes, we take it on faith from religions. Yes, we're impressed by the stories of people like the Delog. That's the Tibetan word for one who died and came back. Experiences who seem to have died and came back. But the simple truth of the matter is, and it's a very important simple truth, is you have the ability to gather first-hand knowledge about what happens beyond death because you have the ability, I would say, almost any night of your life to communicate directly with someone who is living on the other side because there are people on the other side who love you, care about you, and are willing to help you understand what the larger picture is like. It's not exotic. It's not strange. And once you've had a first encounter, as you say, this might be indelible for you. If it's the first time you've ever realized that you are meeting someone who has died, that's going to stick with you and it's going to crack open any carapace of reductionist, rationalist overthinking that might, you might, might be binding your understanding of things. But it does, the story doesn't necessarily end there. One of the things I teach people to do is to regard a dream as a personal portal, as a doorway for an adventure in consciousness. You have a dream, you remember a dream, you met grandma in the dream. 
Well, you know what? You can go back inside the dream. You can travel quite consciously, wide awake in the, in the experiential workshops. We often use shamanic drumming. At home, you might just use your focused intention. And you can go and talk to grandma and not just you know, leave it at where the dream stopped. You can have a conversation. You can do this in a very gentle way by setting up a little tea party in a corner with things that grandma liked, photos, pictures, mementos, something she'd like to eat or drink. And imagine that she is there and start the conversation. So if you dreamed of someone who has died, that would be for me an indicator. This is timely. This is important. This is your stuff. And you can carry on the conversation and maybe have some adventures together. Wonderful. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> you answered all of those questions that I had. <laughs> well, um, you, you gave me a few. So I did. <laughs> I, I did. Now, I know people that are listening are, and watching are going to be like chomping at the bit to say, okay, but how do I do that? You know, aside from just the intention, what I hear you saying is set the intent, have intention, intention to communicate. But if people say, listening to this, decide, okay, before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to write down in my journal, I want to connect with my mom. And then they go to sleep and they wake up and nothing happened then what are some of the other steps that maybe they need to begin to do to create this bridge and this connection? Well, I guide people on journeys, you know, using sort of uh, 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 different, different itineraries, different points of crossing, different points of encounter. For example, I mean, I might lead a group on a journey across water. I mean, that's a favorite way of going to the realm of the deceased. You make a crossing of a certain kind of river or body of water, or maybe you don't have to go all that far. Maybe you're at a place where the fresh water meets the salt water, for example, and maybe there's a boat bobbing there in the water, and maybe on that boat, in that boat, is the person you're looking for. You might not be sure who it is until you get to it. But of course, if you're going to make a journey like that, we also start by asking for guidance. Let's have some guidance, blessing, and protection for the journey. We would like to make a journey. I'm talking now about a gentle form of a shamanic journey. In the workshops, we often use drumming to fuel and focus the journey. We might say, we would like to have timely and helpful communication with someone on the other side of death. We'd like to learn what their environment is like, that double intention. We'd like to have timely and helpful communication. We'd like to learn what the environment is like. And the journey nearly always prospers. People sometimes don't find the person that they have in mind because they're not available. They're, they're, they're doing something else. But let me tell you what happened the very first time I did a journey like this for a group of beginners in an area not far from where you are sitting right now, April. And we had Tom, the retired fireman, in the group. And he wanted to meet his wife. He was a one-woman man. He'd been married for 50-plus years. And he was sad that his wife had predeceased him. And he spent three years trying to find her. He remembered no dreams of her, didn't remember many dreams in general. He'd been to mediums. Okay, they told him things, and they had their role. But that wasn't enough. Tom wanted a first-hand encounter. So he came to me, and I said, basically, Tom, I'm going to pick up this gee whiz bit of technology, the simple frame drum. And you're going to journey to look for your wife, and your, your intention is to have time and helpful communication, see how she is, see what the environment is like. Tom did it. He said he came back with tears running down his cheeks. He said, Well, I got there, and she was doing some kind of paperwork, and it was like she didn't have a present, pleasant park-like environment. It's like she didn't have time for me. And I said, It's me, it's me, it's Tom. Oh, yes, Tom. Don't you love me? Yes, I love you, Tom, but look. Tom, you've got a lot of time ahead of you down there, says his departed wife. And I'm quite busy up here helping people adjust to this situation. So I love you, yes, but please go back down, get on with your life and let me do my work here. So there are tears of joy, but there's also, you know, a little bit of sadness. Six months later, I ran into Tom in a supermarket. It's nice when you get the follow-up. 
he'd lost 30 pounds. He looked tanned. He looked terrific. I said, what happened to you? He said, well, after my wife spoke to me like that in the afterlife, I felt I could ask out the girl from church, the girl from church of 67, and I'd just come back from my honeymoon in Jamaica. Now, again, you could, you could psychologize this and say, oh, well, that's just wishful thinking. He's giving himself permission. You know, by the way, that would be okay. That would be a perfect, it's a perfectly happy outcome, perfectly good story. I happen to believe, because I was looking in on them, you can learn to travel with other people shamanically. I happen to believe that, that Tom actually found his wife had that very helpful life-opening, life-clearing encounter. So that's an example of how you can do things consciously. We're using a little bit of shamanism here. We're using the drum, for example, for that kind of journey. And there are other things you can do. I mean, if you feel that you, if you feel that someone that you're thinking about who's on the other side may not be all that far away, you can set up your own little informal ritual. I mean, I talked about tea with grandma, for example. I mean, it doesn't have to be tea. It might be single malt scotch if you're like my father. You put out something that that person liked, some memento of them. You imagine that they might be available or present, and you are ready to record a conversation, asking some questions. That might work. If the person is close to you, that might work very well. But, you know, when you started opening up the question of no dreams or the wrong dreams, you opened up a huge problem in our society, which is this. Many, many people in our culture are going through a dream drought. They don't remember their dreams. They really don't. And they don't understand when they have something, the importance of it or how to look at it. I've made it my life cause to correct the situation. We need to bring back the dreaming. We need people to understand, as the indigenous people of the area where we are both speaking, understood. The dreams show us the secret wishes of the soul. That's the old Iroquoian belief. Dreams show you the ondinunk, the secret wish of the soul. I learned that from a Rondiwano, a woman of power, an indigenous woman of power, lived 250 years ago in this area. And she called me in midlife to remind me what all our ancestors knew about dreaming. If we're not dreaming in the sense of, you know, connecting with the ancestors, connecting with the spirits, connecting with higher purpose, we are partly soul gone. We've lost part of our vital energy, vital soul connection with the spirit world. So we've got to bring back the dreaming in order, as I say, to have a sense of what fundamental life meaning might be, have a sense of what the soul wants, and to open these paths of communication, which are natural, which are natural. So, you know, I help people to open again to their dreams, and that sometimes means helping someone who's lost their dreams to bring back a part of themselves that they need in their body, in the world, and that is the beautiful, bright dream of the child self who might have gone missing in childhood because of bad stuff, the one who knew the dreams are real, that imagination works. A lot of adults in our world have lost that child self, and that child self actually can reopen your door to your dreams and your imagination. So whatever else I appear to be doing, however serious it might seem to be, it's also playful in the sense I want you to connect with your own beautiful, bright dreamer. And then you'll understand. It's not weird, it's not strange to think you can talk to grandma in your dreams. It's not weird, it's not strange to think you can explore the situations where people design their own lifestyle in the afterlife or go to places of higher education or transformation or choose a whole new life experience once they've checked out of the body on this side. You can know these things firsthand and what will come to you when you know more about this is you'll find courage and energy and clarity for life because when you know that there is something beyond death and you know that as firsthand information, I think you make different choices. You might still make mistakes, fall down, have to get up again. But I think there's a fundamental difference between those of us who know there's something beyond the body in this life. There really is through firsthand, in, through firsthand experience and those who do not. I think it does give us, as I say, courage and clarity for life. 
Yeah. So I'll give you another uh, personal example for myself. and Maybe you can um, help me to understand this. Uh, my mother had passed away this past October. Unfortunately, it was pretty tragic. She was hit by a car late at night. And my cousin had a premonition dream at the time of the accident. So right around one o'clock in the morning, my cousin was having this dream before her husband woke her up that um, she was driving this car and there was somebody in front of her and she saw this uh, woman and she hit this woman and the woman split off into a young girl and then the adult body kind of separated. And my cousin said, and in the dream, I was driving kind of a bigger vehicle and it was maroon. Well, it turns out um, through the investigation of the police that the car that did hit my mom actually was a GMC. It was a bigger car and it was maroon. So here my cousin is in the dream state, but dreaming real time of something that is happening about 45 minutes away from where she lives and a death is occurring as well. And it's, you know, connected to our family, you know, to my mom. So, um, my cousin's mother was also very intuitive and psychic and had uh, similar dreams like that when she was a young girl. So how do we categorize that type of dream that sounds to be a premonition or sounds to be like my cousin might have been out of body, maybe my mom's soul and her soul are connecting in another plane while this tragedy and death is occurring? Well, let's deal, let's deal with the, the terms to begin with. It might be a clairvoyant experience in the sense that she's seeing something and is playing out at the same moment as she's seeing it in her dream. Or it could be a precognition in the sense she's seeing something before it plays out. Either way, it's an example of how our intuitive radar comes alive in dreams. This is part of our survival kit as human beings, what kept us alive when we were being hunted for breakfast by saber-toothed tigers. We have the ability to see and sense beyond the body with our inner senses. And, you know, you can do it in a waking intuitive state. And I know many intuitives, and you know many intuitives are quite good at this. But in dreams, we all do it, whether we think we can or not. Some are more capable of it than others. Some are able to use the information uh, and apply it, and some are not. Uh, I'm always interested in what information we can take and apply. I know this for certain. I know we see into the future every night in our dreams. And what, one of the things I try to teach people is, well, you don't want to know everything that's going to happen in the future. You just be paralyzed. But occasionally you can get some bit of information from your dreams. And if you say, is this about the possible future? And then you say, okay, if I don't like it, can I change it? And how, what action would I take? Or if it's about something desirable, do I like it? Would I like to manifest it? What action will I take? If you look at it that way, if you look at your dreams of the future, as glimpses of possible futures and seek to apply the information to do better, you can come out well. Let me give you a personal example. We'll come back to, you, to your cousin's dream in a second. Mm -hmm. But this is another dream about survival on the road. It's a personal dream, and it's, it's mine. I wouldn't be talking to you today if I hadn't paid attention to it. So there's a bit of practice in the story and also involves a glimpse of the afterlife. Okay, so this will hit the number of the areas that we're talking about. So I dream, I was living actually on the edge of Troy, New York at the time. Troy, Troy Brunswick border, beautiful, beautiful big old uh, federal Greek revival house. In my dream, I'm driving as if I'm going home and I come to a fork in the road on Route 2. You know the geography, I'm heading east. Everything stops. The sky is strange. It's a sort of yellow sky with a sort of purple bruise in it. And bang, I'm in some anomalous, surreal locations. Colors are switching from vivid to black and white and strange things are going on. I understand, lucid inside the dream now, I just died in the dream. I have physically died. I've been thrown in a confused, chaotic, bardo afterlife state. 
because of I've died in a car accident for which I was not prepared, whatever I think I might know, I'm, I'm confused. I'm also aware that I'm lying in the bed in physical reality. This hasn't happened yet. So as I come back from the dream very, very carefully, I memorize every detail of the scene where the action stopped. That fork in the road, that convenience store across the fork, that's where, that's where things stop, stopped. So I apply the dream information about a possible physical death as a tra travel advisory, and my travel advisory to myself is pay very close attention approaching that fork in that road. Two weeks later, uh, April, I'm on that road. There's a big UPS brown truck parked on a double yellow. I'd normally just go around it, but I slow to a stop because of the dream and miss the head-on collision with the 18-wheeler coming down the road because I stopped because I remembered the dream. So that's an example of how you can learn as a practice, available to everyone, by the way. Some people will be better than others. Not everyone's born to be an Olympic skier. Some will be world-class dreamers, and some might just be everyday dreamers, but we all have access to this kind of information. Now, there's something else going on in your cousin's dream, something to do with soul. I mean, I heard, as I heard your story, there was a separation of two aspects of one person, or maybe yeah. it was two different people. I'm not sure, but it sounded to me as I heard it, following as best I can, that there might have been some information about what's happening with soul, different aspects of soul, uh, leaving the body. And one of the other things that we learn if we go on this experiential path, and it's very important to understanding death, life, and everything else, is this, there's more than one aspect of soul or energy that survives death. There's more than one aspect of soul or energy that is active in the world during life. In dreams, we quite naturally travel beyond the body, and sometimes we travel in a subtle energy body. And that's why sometimes when we come back from our dream adventures, we feel as if we've been run over by a truck or we've got jet lag because we've had experiences in a subtle energy body and they leave a mark on the physical body because it's pretty close to the physical. After physical death, you learn this as you go along. More than one part of you survives. There's a dense energy vehicle that's meant to go into the earth not long after physical death. There's another kind of subtle body, sometimes called the astral body, which has a longer duration and can fly around and visit people in dreams, and there's some kind of mind or spirit beyond all of that. So I don't know whether your cousin's dream was showing the, the distinction between different aspects of soul and spirit that survived death or not, but it's one of the themes that came to my mind as I listened to you. And it's a very important theme to understand when it comes to dealing in a practical, effective way with all the range of issues that arrive involving our dead. One of the issues is that if we are in the presence of, if we are carrying the wrong kind of energy of the dead, the heavy energy of the dead, we can be sick and confused because our energy is muddled up with, that, with a part of the person that should not be with us after physical death. This is not the bright or rational or, or loving aspect of the dead. This is the heavy, clinging, needy, appetitive, seeking the next fix, seeking the next smoke, seeking repetitive behavior, seeking to hide from what lies ahead. We don't want that aspect of the dead around. We need to separate ourselves from that in order to get into contact with the wise, uh, the, the wise amongst the ancestors and among the departed. And there's something else. This is a lot for a few minutes, but I'm going to throw in something else because I'm going to quote the dead Irish poet William Butler Yeats, who was a great advisor to me on all of this over many weeks and months, actually. Yeats said, the living have the ability to assist the imaginations of the dead. I know this to be true. I know that sometimes our departed get lost in stuck places, just as we see people get stuck in this life because they don't have the imagination to find anywhere better 
than the little room with the TV going on day and night where they're eating the cookies that they used to eat in life and they're staying there and maybe it's in your house, a corner of your house. So one of the reasons that the dead might need us is that they need someone with the imagination and maybe the ability to call on guides and teachers for them to get them out of their stuck places so they don't stay uh, in the wrong kind of neighborhood in the afterlife or into life. So that's yet another aspect of this really endlessly fascinating theme. Yes, uh, thank you. That's uh, probably an intuitive hit from you. That's important for me to hear in regards to uh, the passing of my mom. So I, I like that. I'll be taking that personally into maybe using my imagination to help her <clears throat> with wherever it is that she is right now. So thank you very much. Um, may, her power, may her paths be open. That's where I go back to my Australian soft A. May her paths be open. May her paths be open. That's what I always say. That's asking the gatekeeper to let her paths be open to where she needs to go. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. Um, so maybe as we are coming a little bit to the close, I feel like I could talk to you for like five hours here, right? <laughs> um, but I know that we're uh, running a little shorter on time. I would like, since we are recording this on March 13th, and you know, the state of the world is in a bit of a panic, maybe a fear state with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, I'd like to kind of get our um, conversation out a little bit sooner than later. And I'm just wondering... Is there anything that we can do as a collective consciousness for every single person that tunes in to this conversation between you and I? Is there something that we can take into our dream state state to help healing of the world? Um, are we supposed to be setting our intention for people to get healthier? Or are we supposed to just let Mother Earth kind of do what she needs to do? Um, but if there is anything that maybe the dream state uh, we can provide to help the collective consciousness as a whole to evolve during this time. Is there anything that you would recommend or suggest? Well, I think we have to look to our own practice and to how it can help the people who are close and near and dear to us so we can see results. So if you want to contribute to the world situation and the condition of humanity amongst the other life beings on this planet, you could simply put an intention to your dreams any night or every night, show me the best. I can show me the best I can accomplish, show me the best I can do, show me the best I can manifest in the year ahead or in the times ahead, show me the best I can do, show me a way to healing. I open myself to my source of healing, I open myself to my creative source. As you approach the night and the dreams of the night, in other words, put yourself consciously in the presence of a greater power and then learn how to bring what you'll be given in the night to other people, learn how to talk to other people about these things. It, because we have a practice here. I invented a simple four-step way of sharing dreams or life stories, which is empowering. Enables us to tell each other what we think about each other's experiences by the if it were my dream format and guide each other towards action. This kind of practice is essential right now. It's more important than it's ever been. And I'm stressing the need to do it for yourself and for those around you and hope that the ripple effect will go everywhere. Yes, we can ask for healing for the planet. Yes, we can ask for healing for our kind. It might be that the chaos and extremity and terror and, and death and illness that's going on now is going to be a catalyst for the whole planet and actually lead to an awakening and a spiritual renaissance for our kind. I hope so. There's a gift in every wound and maybe this tremendous wound that has been inflicted on our, on, on our kind in our world is going to lead to a spiritual renewal and a change in everything. I hope that is the case. We can certainly wish for that. We can pray for that. We can meditate for that. But I'd stress the importance of your own personal practice. 
do your own thing as best you can. Walk your talk as best you can. Walk with the trees. Dream with your eyes open. Listen to the speaking land, as Aborigines say. It's not just about closing your eyes at night and asking for a dream. It's about walking around a lake. It's about listening to the wind. Everything has a voice. Everything is speaking, say the Aborigines of my native Australia. Listen to the river. Listen, listen to the things that pop up around you through the play of synchronicity. Look at that odd vanity plate on that car. What is the message for you today? Be aware that you walk in a living in a forest of living symbols and signs with your eyes open, as well as having access to a forest of symbols and signs with your eyes closed. Be a dreamer. Dare to dream, but add, but be practical. Dream in the sense that you look for results. You, you want you want some guidance for the day. Walk out of your house. Accept the first unusual, unexpected thing the world gives you as a personal message for the quality of the day and how you should approach it, it really works. That's dreaming with your eyes open. You can do that. You walk out, you hear a funny burst of music from the car radio, you see an odd vanity plate, the dog barks, the bird flaps its feather, flaps its wings, you get a message. That's part of living consciously. We've reached a time when we all need to live more consciously and all need to be ready to bring the power of our stories and our sense of uh, possibility to each other. Well, thank you. And a lot of people tease me because they think, April, not everything is a sign. <laughs> because I am that person. I'll go out and I, I mean, bumper stickers, license plates, music, lyrics to music, everything to me. I'm very conscious of it. But that tends to annoy people sometimes because they're like, oh, my God, it's just a song on the radio or it's just a bird. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> well, your, so, your feelings are going to tell you whether it matters. Or not. Everything's a sign, but not all signs are of equal importance. So there's truth in both approaches. And the, right. the middle way is to say, OK, everything is speaking to me but my feelings will tell me where I should put my attention. Yes, I like that. So can you also tell our audience um, just a little bit more about how they can access you? I know that you're doing stuff with the Shift Network. I know that you have workshops on your website. Um, you know, you're going to be at the Afterlife Awareness Conference in June. So just give people a little bit of a rundown of what you're offering on your website, where you're going to be, how they can work with you and dream with you. Well, my website is mossdreams.com. That's my surname, Moss with Dreams, or mossdreams.com. You'll find an events calendar with my uh, current schedule. It's changed a little bit because of the chaos in our world, but I do teach all over the map. I teach a great deal in Europe. I teach all over North America, a lot on the West Coast, actually. Of course, I'll be in Chicago for the, for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. I'm looking forward to that. Those are important programs. I do a lot of online courses at the Shift Network. I mean, they're running almost constantly. We're doing some new ones this year with the theme of the goddess rising from the underworld and the theme of entering into 12 different traditions of world dreaming and other themes. So you might be interested if you like the online vehicle, if you can put up with my funny face and my Professor Dumbledore's back room kind of environment here, <laughs> <laughs> you might, might like to join me for some of the Shift uh, Network courses. And of course, I write books. And actually, we just uh, issued the first audio version of one of my books, Dreaming the Soul Back Home, narrated by me. And there's a new book coming out this fall called Growing Big Dreams, which I'm very excited about. So, you know, I do lots of things in lots of places. And if you feel called to any of this, I'd love you to join me. Great. Robert, thank you so much. Such a gift to be able to spend time with you. And um, I know we live fairly close to each other, so maybe we'll be seeing each other sometime soon and be working together in the future. And we'll definitely see you in June. Excited to see you in person. And uh, just thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and all the work that you're contributing to 
to the dream well, you're, world. You're a dream host, April. I mean, very gracious, very lively, wonderful questions and stories. So let me give you the dreamer's wish and also for everybody tuned into this program. May your best dreams come true and may you remember them. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today.